0: We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. So again, we are walking through a part of Revelation chapter 12 for Christmas this year. And I'm really excited because today, uh, at least on the Amazon app, it says that my package is arriving before 9 p.m. tonight. Um, I have, I'm eagerly awaiting my red dragon that I'm going to put by our nativity um, in our house. Uh, and I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited to have a more accurate representation of what actually happened. Um, We, again, are in Revelation, and and as a reminder, why are we walking through Revelation 12 this Christmas season? Uh, We are walking through Revelation 12 uh, because it is really easy for us to only have a partial view of what Christmas is. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. You know this, don't you? But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an intimate, beautiful picture. But that's only from one perspective. and only tells a little tiny bit of the story. Because at that moment that the cattle are quietly lowing, a great red dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so he may devour it. You know, it's interesting that 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 sounds a lot more like a story from the Lord of the Rings (laughs) than it does from the nativity story in the Gospels. (laughs) It sounds a bit more like something much more fantasy than it is reality. You see, settling for a partial Christmas story will result in a misunderstanding of why you and I are here and what God is calling us to do. God is calling us to intimacy with him, but he's calling us to intimacy with him in the midst of a much larger war with very great stakes around us. It's interesting, I came across the story of a Jesuit missionary years and years ago, named Matteo Ricci. And he went to China to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people in, in China. And in his method to introduce Jesus was he brought a whole bunch of iconography and artwork that had the Virgin Mary and the baby Jesus and so he was introducing the the Chinese people in the villages where he was to Jesus in his in kind of the traditional Christmas story of the virgin birth and the baby and and they spent quite a while uh, introducing these people to baby Jesus. And then eventually he he brought out some other iconography and some artwork that was Jesus on the cross and the crucifixion. And and an interesting thing happened in that moment was that the people who who he was ministering to, they were so attached to the virgin and the baby that a crucified God was kind of didn't make sense and was offensive. And so they preferred Mary and the baby versus the crucified Jesus. And, And I think that makes actually a lot of sense Because we tend to prefer a sentimental picture of Christmas over the battle that Christmas actually was. The birth of Jesus was a pivotal moment in the battle for the salvation of God's image bearers. It was intense. It wasn't this, I mean, yeah, it was this kind of an intimate moment, but it was an intimate moment with huge stakes and incredible dangers, so if you have your Bibles, we're in, we're in Revelation chapter 12. We're gonna be looking, starting in verse three, but I'm gonna reread. In, in 12, it says this in verse one, it says, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with a sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And then we pick up this week in verse three. And another sign appeared in heaven. Just remember last week, it says, it says at the beginning, it says a great sign appeared in the heavens that everyone was on notice, that, that everyone saw, everyone was aware of what was happening, that there was this woman who was clothed in splendor and majesty, and, and everyone knew all of the, the, the principalities and powers and spiritual beings and forces and all of that, And then it says, and then another sign appeared in the heavens. This is not something that happened kind of off at the corner or distant or was secretly happening. This is something that all of heaven saw. So it says, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, seven heads and 10 horns on his head, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth as if giving birth isn't traumatic enough. I don't know, just, I mean, just thinking about that for a second. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And so we see this the sign in heaven. It says there's this great red dragon. And, and I'm not gonna get into all of the, the, the detail of, of what this is talking about because there's, there's a clear big picture theme going on here. One, this, this is the Christmas story. This, this is actually the Christmas story right here. As we move forward in Revelation 12, it kind of spans beyond that and the consequences of the Christmas story. But this is the Christmas story. And so what we see in this, this great red dragon is clearly identified as Satan, the devil, also known as the ancient serpent, the one who was present, who said to Eve in Genesis chapter three, did God really say? Peter describes him as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and here's, here's how it describes this dragon, this devil, this Satan, this ancient serpent. It describes him as present and very, very powerful. <laughs> it says his tail swept a third of the stars from the heavens. Again, I'm not gonna get real deep into that, but just that's the sign of power. <laughs> of ability. And, and here's what's interesting. This dragon has attempted throughout history to annihilate Israel and stop the birth of the Messiah. That's what he's been doing all of this time. This dragon's whole goal is to stop the coming of the Messiah, both his incarnation in Bethlehem and now his return to Jerusalem. You see, the Old Testament establishes God's plan for redemption, and his plan was to call out a people to himself, a people for his own possession, and through those people show his glory and grace and his mercy and his justice. Not because that people he chose were any better than any other people or more deserving than any other people, but so it would show who God is in his character. And so he was gonna call those people out and make them his own. And it says that he was going to bless all nations through them. That all people would find salvation through God's interaction with his people. And eventually he would graft all people into his own family all people who responded to the call of salvation. And we see that prophecy throughout the Old Testament and we see it working out in the New Testament. And so this dragon isn't foolish and understands probably a lot more than I do. And so he's attempted throughout history to stop this from happening. You ever wondered? Ever wondered why the Jews have been so oppressed and attacked over the years. Think about, first about the Old Testament. Started with Cain and Abel, Cain killed Abel. And then later in Genesis, what we see is God calls Abram and gives him a new name, Abraham, and says that I will make a nation through you. I will call you, and he called him out of his people, said I will make you a new people. And through you, you will bless all nations. And he he says that basically the Messiah will come through you. When you go back to Genesis 3.15, God gives this curse to the serpent. And he says that this woman will have a seed and you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. And so God calls Abraham out The red dragon knows what's going on. This is the line that the Messiah will come through. So do you think it's interesting that not once but twice, Sarah almost ends up in a harem of pharaohs? That's one way to kill the line, isn't it? To become just one of many in a harem in Egypt, in in Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's harem. Later, When the Israelites are in Egypt, Pharaoh declares that the midwives would kill all the newborn sons. But you see, it wasn't just Pharaoh making that decision. It was the dragon behind him. Pharaoh was just protecting his kingdom. But the dragon was trying to stop the Messiah. And then later, David who it's prophesied that the Messiah will come through the line of David. David is in in the palace with King Saul and King Saul is sitting on his throne and he's disturbed and David's playing his harp and, and Saul takes his spear and tries to kill David because Saul is grumpy and he's protecting his kingdom. But the dragon behind Saul was manipulating and deceiving because he wanted to kill David because David's line would produce the Messiah who's the end of the dragon. And and then later, in the book of Esther, Haman, who's protecting his kingdom and wants more power, plots to eradicate Israel and all the Jews to do a Jewish genocide. But you see, while Haman was protecting his kingdom, the dragon was trying to destroy the people that the Messiah would be born out of. And then later, still yet another king protecting his kingdom. When the wise men came to Herod and said, we saw this child's star in the sky and he is the king of the Jews. So Herod decrees To kill every baby, male baby, because he's protecting his kingdom. But the dragon is waiting there at the manger so that he may devour the child that is born. How might he do that? Through Herod's decree. You see, every time there is an act that we see, there is a force that we don't see that is that red dragon. You see, his goal has been to blot out the Jews so that the prophecies cannot come true and the Messiah will not be born. And and, and while he failed at that, he continues to try to stop this and stop Jesus from coming back a second time because there's more prophecies about how Jesus will return to Jerusalem, to Israel, to the Jews first. And, and, And that's how he'll return and bring his earthly reign to happen And so even since the cross, which was another attempt to stop the Messiah, which didn't work out the way the dragon planned, there's been attempts since then. Things like the Holocaust. And now Kanye, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but maybe that's that's too soon. (laughs) But but, but he's been trying to do this and, and why? And here's why. Here's why this is important. And here's why it's important to understand this. The dragon is determined to devour the child of the woman and he knows the prophecies. You see, if there's no Jerusalem and no Israel, there's no Jewish people, how then can Jesus fulfill the prophecies of his return to rule and reign in Jerusalem? That's the thinking. If I can blot these people out, then Jesus has nowhere to return to. You see, as as we look behind the curtain, this is what Christmas is. It was was another moment in time. It was the moment in time where where God put on flesh and the Messiah was born and the enemy was trying to stop it. It was in the midst of this massive battle, this war. And you see, what Jesus did was he, he grafted us into his people. So that as Paul says, now there's no more, there's no Jew, nor Greek, nor male, nor female, nor slave, nor free, but one in Christ. Yet, even though that's the case, Jesus is still returning to Jerusalem one day. And all the world will see. And all the world will know, as as we even sang just a minute ago, that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to Jesus Christ as Lord. See, the plan of the dragon was to destroy the woman and is now to keep the Messiah from returning to Israel to set up his kingdom. So make no mistake, the advent of Christmas was waging war on any power opposing God's sovereignty. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is a battle. Really, it's the definitive moment where Jesus comes in flesh and the dragon fails to kill him. And so so we read on Revelation 12 and verse five. I'll just back up. So then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child. And here's the description. One who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne and the woman fled into the wilderness where she is pla- has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Again, there's a lot of imagery and symbolism and stuff to get into here, but I'm just gonna stick with the main thread, which is, which is simply this. That male child who was born, is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus came to restore the broken, comfort the battered, lift up the fallen, remove anger and replace it with joy. But he also came to set the stage for his ruling of all nations and slay the dragon once and for all. He came for both of those reasons. You see, the the, the coming of Christ is not only a message of joy, but also fearful news for anyone opposing his rule. Psalm chapter two, I I don't know if you've ever seen this, but Psalm chapter two is a Christmas psalm. (laughs) And in Psalm chapter two, we basically read, this, this whole idea, what happens here, and, and, how, and, how, and how God reveals to John that this child who's born is going to rule all nations, and everyone will bow down to him. And I wanna read Psalm chapter two in, in the, the, the NLT, just a different version, so that it's kind of a fresh feel and not words that are familiar, as familiar. Psalm two, the psalmist writes this, "'Why are the nations so angry?' Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger, he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury, For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings... Pharaoh, Haman, Herod. Now you kings and everyone who's come after, act wisely, be warned, you rulers of earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities for his anger flares up in an instant but what joy for all who take refuge in him. It is a Christmas hymn (laughs) of a cosmic magnitude. You see, this child who's born that the dragon fails to kill is the Messiah. And in John's vision, God kind of skips from the birth, the birth of Christ to the ascension of Jesus. He says that God pulled him up. That Jesus went through his life and ministry. He gave his life on the cross. He was raised from the dead and then he ascended into heaven to sit at God's right hand. And, And then it says, and then he took the woman, Israel, God's people, and it says he provided, he gave provision and he, He kept her safe. You see, God will always preserve his people. And maybe not preserve them the way they want to be preserved, but he will always preserve his people. So so what does this mean for Christmas? What does this mean for us? I think there's three things that we can understand from, from this part of the Christmas story. First thing is this, the dragon is here. The dragon is here. He's alive, he's moving, he's working. He's deceiving, he's manipulating. And we need to be aware that he is there because what we see is not everything that's happening. People could look and say about about Herod, he's he's an arrogant and selfish king who doesn't deserve to be king making a decree of, of such a horrible decree. Herod is a deceived king because the dragon is here. Reassuring him that he deserves the throne and not some baby being born in Bethlehem. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Kyle preached this when we were in 1 Peter, but Peter says this, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, not some of our cares We don't get to keep back some of our cares and only give him some because some of our cares are too big and too hefty and and we should be keeping them. Cast all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, the dragon, the ancient serpent is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Think about even the wording Peter uses. That the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking who he he can devour. The same thing as the dragon stood at that stable that night in Bethlehem, waiting to devour the child. That is the activity of the enemy. He devours. And then Peter goes on to say, he says, resist him firm in the faith. We can't avoid him. We can't get rid of him, but we can resist him standing firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. You see, God calls us to endure. That is actually the primary calling of those who know Christ is endurance. I have a friend who summarizes the Christian life this way. He says, Christianity can be summed up like this. Don't quit and you win. Just don't quit. Just endure, persevere. Hang on. Don't stop believing. (laughs) I can't not do that. (laughs) But if you don't quit, you win. That's it. And, and 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 so and so when you think of even scripture the way scripture talks it doesn't say that we are going to be able to sidestep or avoid suffering or persecution it simply says that we will have the ability to endure Ephesians 6 Paul lists the spiritual armor and we would be mistaken to think that that armor is so that we can either sidestep or be uh, insulated from suffering or persecution, that spiritual armor, if you read the passage in Ephesians 6, it says to stand, to endure, to persevere. That's why God has equipped us with these things, so we can stand. In Revelation it says to those who who endure, they receive the crown of life. And, and so this This dragon that exists and is here now continues to use deception and sin to oppose God's plan. And just, I wanna make sure we're clear, God's plan is not a plan for a Christian state or a moral society, but of making a people who are holy, a nation of priests, and gathering them together for his glory and his return. That is his plan and that is what he's doing and that's what the enemy wants to stop. The dragon doesn't care if we have a moral society. He doesn't care if we have a Christian nation. What he cares about is that God does not succeed in making a holy people and that's what he stands against. And, and, so, and so we oppose the dragon and we pursue those who are being deceived by him. The second thing we learned from this is this, that this child in the manger is a king. Not just a king, but he's the king. Jesus' kingdom is now and it's not yet. It is the in-breaking kingdom that everywhere you and I go who have received salvation, who've been forgiven by Jesus for our sins, everywhere a priest-disciple goes we are a present threat to the dragon. Everywhere you go, in Jesus' name, you are a clear and present danger to the dragon and his desires. But here's the reality. God will always preserve his people. Again, that's not a guarantee of prosperity and peace. Jesus couldn't be more clear that if we follow him, we will experience what he did. Jesus said clearly, he said, if you follow me, you will face what I faced. If you live for me, you will face what I face. He said, a servant is no greater than its master. And our master, Jesus, suffered and was persecuted and was ridiculed. We can expect that, but we're called to endure and God will Preserve us. Our victory will be through that endurance, not avoiding or rejecting everything. But we'll keep at it. Last thing is this I think Christmas brings us to a crossroad. We have to come to terms with the baby in the manger. That baby in the manger was appointed by God to be Savior or Judge depending on your position. For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, he is savior. For those who continue to rebel against God, he is judge. Malachi says in Malachi chapter three, he says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire of a launderer's soap. Doesn't matter who you are or how strong you are or how great a plan you have. If you don't have the Spirit of God inside of you, you will not stand in the day that Jesus returns. See, his coming means either salvation or condemnation. And and here's the thing you don't have to be on my side, (laughs) you don't have to agree with everything I've ever said. You have to be on Jesus' side. You have to believe what Jesus said. That's what matters. That's what's important. You see, that baby, and the words of the Apostle Paul, that baby who had no sin would become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that right there, church, Is what the dragon cannot stand. That a people would become the righteousness of God. That you would be the righteousness of God. That I would be the righteousness of God. And that dragon hates that. See, when we look into the manger, we come away shaken with the realization that he was born to pay the unbearable penalty for my sins. And that's the message of Christmas. God reconciled the world to himself through Christ. And only those who have been profoundly disturbed to the point of repentance are able to receive the tidings of comfort, peace, and of joy that Christmas promises. Christmas is tidings of good news. it's also tidings of consequence. See, Jesus will come again in glory. And all the kingdoms of this world will be his kingdoms, no matter the fight they put up, whether it's Herod or Pharaoh, whether it's Putin or Biden, no matter who it is, no matter what they think of themselves, all of those kingdoms will become Jesus' kingdoms. No one will argue and everyone will know. Like the roar of many waters or the sound of rolling thunder. Church, it's it's time that we were heard and not heard in the way that we've been trying to be heard, with the world's mechanisms, from positions of power, but to be heard as those who have been humbled in the shadow of King Jesus, in the way of King Jesus. Hallelujah. Give him who sits on the throne glory. Let's, let's just sing right now. Let's declare the truth that is in the scripture. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.